Welcome to Pod to the Rescue. Rescuing the dog is just the first step. We're here to help with everything that comes next. Welcome back to Pod to the Rescue, a podcast from Summit Dog Rescue in Boulder, Colorado. I'm Libby. And I'm Emily. And we are so excited to share with you today an interview with Dr. Patricia McConnell. Patricia McConnell is a rock star in the dog training behavior world. And we're just so thrilled that she took the time to speak with us. Absolutely. Her book, Love Has No Age Limit, has been a fabulous resource for us in rescue. It's um, it's something we share with our adopters and our fosters, and it really helps us communicate about that transition period between being rescued and settling into a dog's forever home. It's been an invaluable resource and really changed the trajectory of Summit Dog Rescue when we discovered it. Patricia McConnell, PhD, Certified Applied Animal Behaviorist, is an ethologist who has consulted with pet owners for over 30 years about serious behavioral problems. She taught the biology and philosophy of human-animal relationships in the Department of Integrative Biology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison for 25 years and has spoken around the world about canine behavior and training. Dr. McConnell is the author of 11 books on training and behavioral problems, as well as the critically acclaimed books, The Other End of the Leash, translated into 14 languages, For the Love of a Dog, and Tales of Two Species. Her newest book, The Education of Will, is a memoir focusing on healing from trauma in both people and dogs. Patricia and her husband live with their working border collies, Skip and Maggie, along with cats Nellie and Polly, and a very spoiled flock of sheep. For more information, go to www.patriciamcconnell.com or visit her blog at www.theotherendoftheleash.com and follow her on Facebook or on Instagram. And a brief content warning for listeners. In this interview, we briefly touch on topics of death and sexual violence. So welcome, Dr. Patricia McConnell. Thank you so much for coming on Pod to the Rescue. We're so excited to share with our listeners so much of your experience and body of work and knowledge. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. And I love Pod to the Rescue title. That's just (laughs) too good. Thank you. You got me. You know, as a writer, I'm like, that's a great title. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. We really thought about it a lot. And we realized there's a lot of podcasts out there for behavior and training, but not necessarily ones that really speak to the rescue community, shelters, rescues, adopters, and fosters. So, So that's where we saw the need and we started it up. I'm just thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Um, I think that maybe Emily mentioned to you when she emailed you that we ask all of our adopters to read Love Has No Age Limit. And that has been just a wonderful way to talk with adopters about bringing a rescue dog home. And it's just a wonderful resource for rescues. So thank you so much. (laughs) You know, my co-author, Dr. Karen London and I, we 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 just we were working with so many dogs who were such good dogs but who'd been rescued who were from shelters and their their new owners didn't know what to expect you know and there's just mm-hmm. not that much out there that's written about getting a dog who's not a puppy you know mm-hmm. getting a dog who's had mm-hmm. a life who's had a home who's had lots of 
learning, training or learning, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then comes into this new place and you know, what do you do? And both of us have been in that circumstance. Mm -hmm. Both of us have gotten like a 12 month old or a two year old dog and literally gone like, oh my. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> what have we done? And what do we do? So we wrote it for ourselves as much as we did. And we've been thrilled at how well it's done. It's just, and it, it just, it warms our hearts that, that shelters and rescues are using it. Because that was our hope. Can you hear Maggie? Yeah. That's Maggie. She's downstairs. So I can't really say much to her. <laughs> she, she's the barker. Will okay. is four, male, okay. has barked twice in his entire life. Oh, got him a year ago. His bark twice, middle of the night, one wolf, literally. Woof. One wow. meant I'm about to have diarrhea in my crate, and the other meant I didn't know it, but I'm afraid of thunder. Oh, bless him. I know. Oh, yeah. Lucky me. Yeah. Patricia, if you were going to coach someone bringing home a new dog, let's say a 10 month old dog that they were picking up pretty, pretty quickly off of transport. Um, and it was a dog that came from, let's say one of the Southern States with not a lot of history. What would your advice to them be for that first three days, first three weeks, your rule of threes, the rule of threes, three days, yeah. three, three months. Yes. Um, if I had one word, it would, oh, I would struggle. I would either say quiet or I would say patience. Okay. Um, the, I think the first thing it's incredibly important to do is to understand that you knew you were getting a dog. Dog had no idea what was happening. And whatever has happened to it, it's probably been a lot. It's probably been overwhelmed. A lot of new sights, new smells, new sounds, complete lack of knowledge about what's happening to him or her. And so dogs come in in, in varying degrees of shock, basically, um, or exhaustion. And so I would say one of the most important things to do is give it a lot of time and space. Um, don't invite all your friends over. Don't take it. I've had people who took their dogs to a obedience class with 15 dogs in it the day after they got them. It's like, no, 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 no. Let the poor thing get its little paws on the ground. I mean, there's, there's some really good research in human psychology that talks about three days or three nights. Actually, one example being that people, it very often takes people three nights to be able to sleep well in a new environment. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly true with me. Um, which was a problem when I was doing seminars on severe dog aggression and had to be on a stage for three, two or three days in a row <laughs> with really dangerous dogs in front of 200, 300 people. And I hadn't slept in like two nights, right? right so, right. so there's a lot of understanding that very new environments overwhelm individuals. Um, true of humans, also true of dogs. So first thing I would say is quiet a lot of quiet that so if the dog is comfortable in a crate i and and you're you know you're you're sure that they're fine i would spend a lot of time just hanging out in the same room with the dog i would see how she does in a crate and sit close to the crate and just read i would not have lots of visitors over i would not be i like to talk to dogs but i wouldn't be chattery too much you know until you know the dog better so 
So I think that's the most important thing is to understand that dogs who come to you, even if they're wild and rambunctious, I've had a lot of clients who said, oh, he's just so happy because the dog was literally dancing on top of my desk. And I said, you know, they're just so feisty. He's just so happy. And I said, I think he's frantic. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's, you know, I don't think this is friendly. I think this is frantic. And so sort of no matter what the dog is doing, whether it's shut down and quiet and wants to curl up in a corner and not respond to you, or it's dancing all over everywhere and biting on the leash and jumping up at your face, just stay calm and cool and let it chill out a little bit. Yes. I, I love that advice. We, we see that all the time. We just got a dog mm-hmm. in last weekend yeah. and it seems frantic and fearful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're like, really trying to slowly let him decompress before anybody meets him or there's any expectations put on him. So yeah. I think yeah. that's Yay excellent. Yeah. Yeah. For you. I am, you know, I learned more about that when I was writing my book on emotions um, for the love of a dog. And I was reading a lot about fear and, and there was a great section in one of the books I was reading um, written by a woman who was the kind of person who went to a cocktail party and couldn't shut up, mm. you know? And she said, I am shy. Right. I am truly shy. Mm. I'm an introvert, but no one knows that because the way I manifest my nervousness is I just talk, you know, like a fire hose. Right. And so, you know, I see dogs like that too. They just, they just can't calm down. That's such mm-hmm. a great analogy. I think so many people could relate to that feeling. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. I, you know, that motor mouth where you're just, you're, and your brain is going like, stop talking because <laughs> right, you're making right. yourself, right? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. There. We always try to tell people like the smells are all different and, you know, every single thing is different. The water tastes different to them. So right. let them right. get used to all the new smells and tastes and noises in the environment And then there's also that concept of having a secure attachment base. And Mm -hmm. I would love for you to talk with about that a little bit more of like why you're saying like sit with them and have them kind of get to know that you're a safe person before they have to interact with the world too much. Oh, that I love that you asked that question. Um, You know, that the original secure attachment base research came from child psychology. A lot of it was based on work that was done with non-human primates about um, the effect of either having a secure attachment base or not. Mm. And and what we've learned from lots of research on human children and young primates of a variety of species is that the more a young developing social mammal, it's true with rats too, the more it feels it has, I love, I mean, the phrase secure attachment base is great, right? Mm-hmm. It has a safe place. Right. It has something it can count on. Right. And even if it's not alive sometimes, right? Um, but it has something it can go to and be safe and secure. And I want to talk later about the critical aspect of, of especially dogs who've come from some kind of rescue or shelter needing to feel safe and protected because that's Mm -hmm. such a huge part of trauma. Mm -hmm. So, um, so these, these individuals who have that sense of I'm a social individual and I'm attached to something I can count on 
we know that those individuals have more resilience. We know that they explore more. We know they're less afraid of loud, surprising noises. We know that um, they, uh, do we know they have less anxiety? I don't, I wouldn't be surprised, but I can't think of a study that shows that. I suspect there is one out there, mm -hmm. but I can't think of one at the moment. Um, but so, so your point is, your question and your point about the importance of a secure attachment base is really important because one, your dog needs to decompress. And we can talk about that word. I mm -hmm. love that that word's being used now. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that when you emailed me first about, about talking and, and I love that you used it because I think we all understand sort of what it means almost viscerally. Mm -hmm. um, but so besides that, dogs need to feel like they have or have, they have the potential of a secure attachment base. And I think, I can't quote one, but I think you probably know, I think there's research from shelters that finds that it can, it could just be 20 minutes of interaction with the same person, right? You know, mm -hmm. every day, if they have a positive interaction with some person who sits in their kennel for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, they have, because we're so social, mm -hmm. they've attached to that individual and are probably, most probably more likely to be more resilient, um, more comfortable um, and able to deal with change more. Oh, that's great. That's fascinating. So yeah, let's go back to that, the question of decompression. Um, can you quickly define decompression for our listeners when it comes to bringing a, a new rescue dog into the home and why it's so important for rescue dog guardians? Yeah, I love that word. Um, and I love that it's being used now. Um, it wasn't years ago, you know, when I was still seeing clients and writing. Um, but I love it because even though it's interesting, I actually looked up the definition of decompression. Mm -hmm. It's not clear. Hmm. It's actually not clear at all. <laughs> Many of them, except as I said, I would argue most of us viscerally know what it means, you know, yeah. because um, we all have a sense of being compressed. You know, so I'm just going to sort of talk about the actual word first and, and then if I may sure. elaborate on it. So right. we know what it feels like to be compressed. Um, and one of the things I'm learning, I'm, I'm learning meditation. I've been doing it for years. I'm a, 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 a novice, a newbie. Um, I've been doing it for years, but I, you know, I don't, anyway, I just do a little every day and I do the best yeah, I can. But one of the great. things I've learned from it, from the insight meditation that I'm doing is that so often say something's bothering you, you have a difficult emotion or you have a pain, say your knee hurts. Mm -hmm. And what that tends to do is it, it becomes compressed together somehow in your body or your mind or your soul. And it all sort of tightens and tightens and tightens. And one of the things that I've learned about pain management, for example, from a whole variety of sources related to the mind and mindfulness is to quote, give Give it, give space around the pain. Give it space. Right. Well, what the heck does that mean? You know, when you first heard, hear that, it's like, well, what do you mean? Right. You know, give it space. But you actually can find that in your brain mm -hmm. to do that. And so the reason I bring all that up is it seems like a sidelight, but I think it really speaks to the issue, which is that when we get tense, we get compressed, right? Right. I mean, what does tense mean? You know, physically, yeah. that's what tense means. Right. And so when we talk about decompression, it's a kind of 
relaxation. It's a kind of lessening of overwhelming stimuli mm -hmm. where an individual is able to ah, sort of take a deep breath, give itself some space, you know, mentally, psychologically, physically, acoustically, you know, <laughs> visually, mm -hmm. chemically, you know, just, just a loosening. Right. Um, and, and I think that's what a lot of, you know, the great advice that you give people, and it sounds like you do such a great job of just giving the dog space and not overwhelming them and letting that mind and body just get some space, just take a breath, just relax, just stop the tension, just release the tension and the compression. So yeah. that's what I get from that. What yeah. do you guys get from that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like that is so much of it is giving them just that time to breathe and relax. And I think that kind of segues into our bigger question of trauma. And for, mm -hmm. you know, when I got into this 15 years ago, I felt like if a dog came here, it was the greatest day of their life. Like, yay, come <laughs> home with me. I rescued right. you. You know, I had a young child and it was like a party. It was the, right. I just rescued my dog party. And now yeah. with huge thanks to your book and your work, I understand that there's so much trauma that these dogs have gone through before right. they actually step off the transport and come right. home with me. And right. so I feel like the trauma piece is something that we don't all understand. So I would love if you could speak to that. And obviously not all dogs have like a full spectrum of trauma, you know, that needs behavior medication. How do you tell the difference and how could even adopters and rescuers assess dogs for their resilience from their trauma? Oh, so much to unpack here. Sorry. Oh, my how long do we have? Yeah. Well, I've got till tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> But, but such, such a great introduction, um, Emily, to such an important issue. And so, okay, let's unpack some things here. So first of all, I love that you bring up this issue of our perception of a dog's time of being rescued mm -hmm. versus their perception. So one of the most difficult things I think for people to get, and I know you get it, I know people in who have done a lot of rescue can't help but get it, is that the rescue for many dogs is the most traumatic thing that ever happened to them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've worked with these dogs. I've worked with hundreds of them. They grew up in a dark barn at the end of a chain. They've been there for four years. They've been having babies twice a year. Somebody comes in twice a day or maybe once a day and pours some dry food in their bowl. And then all of a sudden there's all this noise, all these strange, unfamiliar people come in terrorize them by picking them up, put them in little terrorizing cages, mm -hmm. put them in a car, road noise, car noise, movement, visual right. stuff. They're completely trapped. They've never had to deal with issue issue before. Mm -hmm. Then they get put in a kennel maybe somewhere, and then they get taken to a foster home or to a home. That is the worst thing that's ever happened to them. We right. think we're rescuing them, and we are. We are. Mm -hmm. But because they've had so little experience with the world, that is a profound trauma to many of them, right? There's just no way around it. And so we have got to recognize that we are traumatizing dogs often when we rescue them. And, and that's not to say we shouldn't do it. 
Of course we should do it, right? But we just need to know that that's part and parcel of it. Is that true with all dogs? As you mentioned, of course not. Um, you know, there are those amazing dogs out there who, you know, they're 50 dogs in one room, right? And they can barely wade through the feces and, you know, the dead dog bodies and you come to get them and they're like, hi, how are you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, so that needs to be acknowledged. And some of the examples I gave, of course, were extreme and there are a lot of most dogs are not necessarily in that category, but nonetheless, you know, mm -hmm. they were picked up on the road in, I don't know, you name the state, yeah. right? Yeah. And then they were captured and then they were in a kennel and then they were in transport and then they're in a new kennel. And then, so there's still um, reason to be traumatized. Here's what I learned about trauma when I was working on my memoir, The Education of Will. What I learned about trauma is that trauma is basically where psychologically, you get thrown off of your balance point. You know, you get thrown of what a physiologist call homeostasis. So homeostasis is a really, I love that concept. It's a really simple concept. It's basically the place or the measurement or the quantity of something that can vary. Let's just say temperature. Let's just use your internal body temperature. So homeostasis is 98.6 or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And you can get pushed off of that. You can get overheat. You can get really hot, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can start getting overheated. And then you can start go into, you know, heat exhaustion. You are in trauma at that point. You have been pushed off of the comfort zone of heat. Um, same thing with cold that can happen. And you, as you get hotter and hotter internally, you can get to the point where permanent physical changes are made right. and you might be able to get back, but you never, you might never be able to get back to where you were. Right. So with, with psychological trauma, what, what happens is something, um, what's a, what's a good word? Something violently, not physically necessarily, mm -hmm. but there's some violent speaking metaphorically. Yeah event that right. pushes you off of some kind of feeling of stability. Well, here's a great example, a car crash. I was almost in a horrible accident at 65 miles an hour a couple of days ago. I, yeah, I was on a highway, four lanes, and I somebody just didn't see me and started to just swerve into me. And I literally slammed on my brakes yeah. and then thought, I'm going to get killed from behind. Right, and right. I didn't. Oh, it freaked me out. I mean, okay. it really freaked me out. I was fine. Everything was fine. Um, goodness. So I had that moment of like, right, you know, right. way off homeostasis. Way and then it took me about 45 minutes, really, mm -hmm. to sort of get back to being relatively okay. Although I had one of the worst training sessions with my dogs I've ever had. And I'm like, hmm. Mm -hmm. So people who have, for example, been traumatized such that they can't get back to homeostasis are, are generally, and, and I'm speaking very loosely here, but are generally diagnosed with having post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, because they can't get back, you know, they can't get back to where they were. And, and those, what, what happens is that kind of trauma that's that serious, depending again on who, on who it happens to, because people are, and dogs are highly variable, the exact same thing can happen to 10 people and two will get PTSD. 
you know, um, and never be better. Two will take six months to get better. And, you know, mm-hmm. six of them will be like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, what happened? Right. So, but if with that kind of severe case, what happens is there are permanent changes made in the brain. So the hippocampus where sort of short-term memories are stored uh, becomes actually smaller, which is one of the reasons why people who had PTSD often have more memory trouble. Um, hello, this is me, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and the amygdala, which is that little almond-shaped organ in the brain that's related to fight or flight, so to fear and anger, which are highly related, right? Mm-hmm. That becomes larger. And, and I mean that you can see the structural changes. They actually change structurally. Wow. And so, you know, and that's why people with PTSD on dogs who have symptoms that are PTSD-like um, are often hyperreactive, um, might have nightmares, are um, fearful sometimes and sometimes not. Mm-hmm. Um, can, you know, some people and dogs have trouble with aggression because again, fear and anger are very closely related. Right. So, so, um, so that's, gosh, I don't know, a little bit about yeah. trauma. Yeah. Um, so, but you, so the, one of the last parts of your question, if I remember correctly, trying to get my memory to work well here is um, how do you, how do you know? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you know? Well, I mean, one of the answers is, well, you don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, all, you know, we can't, you know, people, people with PTSD, part of the diagnosis requires that you're asked questions, you know, like, do you have um, flashbacks? Mm-hmm. Well, we can't ask dogs that, right? We can't ask dogs if they have flashbacks. We know that dogs have dreams and it looks very clear that some of those are nightmares. Mm. Um, and we know that dogs can have enhanced startle responses and we know that dogs can be hyperreactive. We know that dogs can also shut down, mm-hmm. um, which is another sort of way of trying to cope. Right. So, so um, I mean, that's the best we can do. What, one, of the th- one of the cautions I wanna make, because I hear this a lot and you might too, is sort of from a range of things. People talk about PTSD a lot now, and I think they use it when it's not relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and people talk about being animals being traumatized. Um, some, yeah, not, I'm not quite as concerned about that term being used, but um, I've just talked to so many owners and groups who were talking about one individual dog and, and they say, I know, there are a lot of, let me put it this way. There are a lot of stories we make up, right. you know, because that's, you know, that's who we are. We're storytellers. That's what we are as humans, right? And we want to understand the world. So we make up stories to try and help us understand it. So one of the most common things I used to hear all the time was, I know he was beaten by a man because he's, he's afraid of men. Right. Um, well, the fact of the matter is there aren't that many mean men in the world. <laughs> right, right. I mean, Certainly it's true that more men than women tend to be physically aggressive. It's absolutely Mm -hmm. true. However, most shy dogs, dogs who are are uncomfortable with unfamiliar people are far more afraid of men than they are than women. Mm -hmm. And we don't know why, but we have some good hypotheses. I'm sure you know exactly what I'm going to say. 
men tend to move differently. They, they tend to move with more assertiveness. They have lower voices. They have bigger jaws, better to bite you with. They have beards even for heaven's sakes. Right. Um, so that's my best guess. So, so I see that a lot and I'll just basically say, look, you know, he's a shy dog for whatever reason. And you very often it's because they just didn't meet a lot of unfamiliar people when they were young during that critical, um, important period of development. And I also see dogs who people say, oh, I know she's been just horribly traumatized or has PTSD because she won't come out of her crate. Well, maybe, you know, but maybe she's a really shy dog and she's exhausted. Mm. <laughs> this needs to be in her crate for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that's a start at trying to answer those, that very, very good very deep question. That you <laughs> so maybe give, give them way more time and less jumping to conclusions about what happened to them. See the dog, not the story. Uh, that's one of the, you know, every once in a while you hear something like that just sort of hits you just like, right. Oh, I'll never forget that. Cause that's yeah. a great line. You know, another one is yeah. that I've never forgotten is we train by regret. It's like, oh, got me, you know, yeah, what I, the yeah. things I did 20 years ago that I would never do now. And, yeah. You know, so yes, yeah, see the dog, not the story. What is the dog doing now? What do you, what do you see as problematic to the dog? What do you see as problematic to you? What's the best thing to do from here on forward? Mm. I love that advice. You mentioned a dog who's maybe going in their crate and doesn't want to come out and could be could be tired, could be decompressing, could be afraid. Um, how, how can a foster or adopter determine what's going on? Um, does this have anything to do with resilience in dogs? If they're maybe just kind of riding the waves, could you talk a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. For, let me first just talk a little bit about resilience. Yeah. Because I think that's so important. We know that. So first of all, let's just define what we're talking about. It's, it's, it's basically like a band, like a rubber band that pulls you back to homeostasis, mm -hmm. basically. It pulls you back to feeling stable and safe and protected. So if something happens that throws you off kilter. Um, and, and a resilient individual can sort of get back to their, their normal state of being, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we know... There's so much good stuff coming about, coming out about resilience now from, you know, there's a strong genetic component to it, but so much of the great stuff that's coming out about um, the importance of early development and, mm -hmm. you know, having a variable environment at the right time, at the right stage of development in puppies, you know, I'm thinking about like, you know, puppy culture kind mm -hmm. of um, uh, books and videos, I, you know, Joan Gillian's work that I think is great. Um, so, so resilience is both genetically determined. It's um, uh, early development has a massive effect on it. That those are the two biggest factors. Um, and so again, you can have dogs who went through absolute hell on earth, but are really just fine. Mm -hmm. And if there was anything I would like breeders to be breeding for, because there will always be breeders, there always will be, mm -hmm. um, it would be resilience. You know, honestly, if I was queen, I would, and I had a dog show competition, um, it wouldn't be about uh, top line and it wouldn't be about tail set and it wouldn't be about coat color. It would be 
about resilience. Yes. It would be, I mean, there would literally be tests that you have to be really careful. We're not abusive in any way, mm-hmm. uh, but there would literally be tests and, you know, they have those in horses. I mean, they have, you know, with trail horses have to go through exercises where they show I can walk over a really scary looking log bridge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they do that with other species. We need to be doing that with dogs and breed the dogs who are, who are confident without being jerks and stable and resilient. That's just so fascinating because right now we are really small rescue, but we have a five to seven year old lab mastiff mix who came in with a shattered pelvis that healed on its own, but destabilized his hips. So he has bone on bone pain in both his hips. We're redoing his hips. And then he had massive teeth issues because he Uh. must've been kept in a crate. All the teeth were like, broken down to the nubs. He is the sweetest, most resilient dog. And then we just got in a one-year-old burner doodle, who's obviously a pandemic puppy, who has, you know, absolutely startled in the backyard when it saw some screens up against the house. You know, it was like neophobia out of context, no resiliency. And I was like, you know, if you compare those two dogs, one from a breeder who came straight into a family and spent, you know, and then the other one has this crazy life of trauma and- Right, and he's like, fine, yeah. 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 You know, know, I mean, I had, my my rescue cavalier was was the resilient one. She grew up incredibly abusive, puppy mill. You know, she, when when she was pulled, there was green goo coming out of her ears. Oh, wow. She, they were so infected. They had to pull 21 of her teeth. I mean, she was oh. just, her entire head was just a goo oh. of infection. Oh. She must have been in horrific pain. Yeah. And from the word go, she was like, hi. Right. Hi. Right. <laughs> hi. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I, I have to say, I do think there was a little part of her, though. There was a little, something deep inside her was a little shut down. I do, but still, but she was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Right. So, um, yeah. So I wish we were breeding for resilience. And I think, I think their good breeders now are working really hard on good um, developmental periods, raising puppies. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've seen some examples of pe- people just doing some phenomenal things, you know, in my, my um, sport, sheepdogs, um, sheepdog competitions, I see a lot of the people who are raising litters going way out of their way to raise super resilient dogs, which is just wonderful. Yeah. So how do you know, you know, well, like I said, initially you don't mm-hmm. until slowly over time, you know, you get a sense of how, how fast does a dog recover? Mm-hmm. You know, if there's, if you drop a plate, does the dog run out of the room and not come back or does the dog bolt for five feet and then come back to sniff it and explore. What was that? You know, mm-hmm. what happened? Mm-hmm. Um, so you just have to use that patience and those great observational skills. Mm-hmm. And, and keep in mind that these, some of these changes are, are sort of, you, you can see animals develop resilience. Actually, you can, you can create resilience in people. Mm-hmm. And I think you can some with dogs too, um, by, giving them a lot of time and patience mm-hmm. and, and getting back to something I mentioned earlier, which is creating a world in which they feel safe and protected. 
it is so important for, you know, especially if you have an animal who has truly been traumatized and has not recovered from it yet. Um, job one, absolute job one is to create an environment where an individual feels safe and protected. Can you give some specific examples of what that might look like in a day-to-day life, say a uh, family home, a couple teenagers, how do you create a, an environment where the dog feels safe and protected? That would be a great book right there, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's yeah. a great question, Libby. It's a really, really good question. And I, I was just thinking I could write a blog. That would be a great blog topic. Mm. I mean, that's a wonderful question. So here's some ideas. And obviously it's going to depend on the dog, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, what makes an individual feel safe and protected? One of the ways I feel safe and protected is to be in nature. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the ways I feel safe and protected. Um, so, so job one, um, within job one is to, is to, is to observe your dog really carefully. You know, what does your dog want? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and here's an example. I've worked with so many people over the years who got a rescue dog and who wanted to walk their dog in the neighborhood because they're good, responsible owners and a dog needs a walk, right? Yep. Not that dog. That dog does not need to walk around the neighborhood. It's terrified. It's afraid of all the other dogs. It's afraid of people it hasn't met. It's overwhelmed. It does not want to walk around the neighborhood. You know, and I'll ask them, do you have a nice backyard where your dog can just potty? And they're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, okay, there you go. Right. Your dog is going to go in. You're, you're not going to force your dog. So that's one of the ways you can help a dog feel safe and protected mm-hmm. by knowing what they want to do. And I don't mean spoiling them, you know, I don't mean like um, sort of feeding them cake on a couch or something. (laughs) But, you know, if your dog is like, I don't want to go on a neighborhood walk or when we go on a neighborhood walk, I bark uncontrollably and hysterically every time I see another dog. Um, That there is not, not only is there nothing wrong, but I would argue that the best thing to do is go, you know what? We're just going to go potty in the backyard for a while. That's fine. And maybe on week three, we'll just sit on the front stoop. We'll just sit here, you and me, and I'll feed you treats, you know, and it'll be good. And maybe I'll even read my book and, you know, be really happy when I see you lie down, you know, and your mouth opens so you're not all tensed and your jaw is tensed and closed. And, you know, and then maybe we'll just, you know, two weeks later, we'll just take a little 10 step walk in the front yard and then go right back in the house. That would be fine. Wouldn't it? That would be good. So, so the way you feel it say one, so, so the way you make it feel safe and protected is you never force it into something that really is really going to scare it. I'm not a big fan of flooding, you know, where you just overwhelm an individual. It can work sometimes, but if it doesn't work, you've created a mess, right? I often don't feel like I have the ability to know if I could pull off flooding or not, mm-hmm. you know, I which really, says a lot. Yeah. If, if you, yeah. That's, really yeah. Yeah. yeah no, no. I, if Patricia McConnell couldn't pull it off, probably nobody can. So well, yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's true, but I yeah. certainly don't have the confidence to yeah. do it. But um, although I've seen it work a couple of times just because life happened, you know, it mm-hmm. just sort of, you know, happens. Right. Um, so, so what you don't force your dog into situations, it's clearly making it nervous. 
So it can start to trust you. And that means say somebody, you know, a big guy with a hat and a big beard comes running up to your dog going like, I love dogs. It's a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. I love Chesapeake Bay Retrievers. I've had three of them. And you're going to get in front of your dog. You're going to have taught your dog. If you have time, maybe you don't. But if you've had time, you've taught your dog to sit and stay behind you. That's a lovely thing to do with shy dogs. Mm -hmm. You haven't had time. That's fine. Don't worry about it. You're just going to stand in front of that dog. You're going to protect that dog from that man. If you have to, you're going to go, let's go. And you're going to turn around and walk away. You're going to protect him. So you're going to passively create situations in which he's not overwhelmed or scared. Mm -hmm. You're going to actively manage the world. So three teenage boys don't end up playing basketball, you know, in the house right beside his crate or something. Mm -hmm. um, so you're going to do all of those things. You're going to create a safe space for him where nobody can come and bother him, you know, where it really is your bedroom, you know, where it really is a place you can go where you feel safe. Um, and, and like nothing's going to hurt you and nothing's going to bother you. Um, the other way you can give dogs a sense of feeling safe and protected is to teach them, teach them in certain context about how they can control their environment because individuals who've been traumatized, what, one of the things they desperately need is to feel like they are in control because they've lost it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's what happens is your life goes out of control, you know, um, you know, the hardest things for me personally was um, there were two things. One, there was a guy that fell from five stories and died at my feet. Yeah. Well, once that happens, it's like, why? I mean, why would this guy not, you know, why would that not happen again? Right. You know, right. how could you ever predict that? How could you ever expect that? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and the other thing that happened the same year, which I actually don't talk about in the book, because the editors were so freaked out by it, was that I was in a fun house. Um, I'm making air quotes, by the way, for Ray. Okay. Yeah. I was in a fun house, one of those dark places where the witch comes out, you know, and yeah. there's things. And, and there were some young men who had learned, I think, that that was a great way to steal things. Okay. So me and my girlfriend were grabbed in the pitch dark. Our pants were torn off and we were digitally raped. Oh, and then no. they took our purses oh, and then they ran away. So again, it was pitch dark. I mean, oh, and then, by the yeah. way, I should just say, if if, if oh, anybody my. heard that is feeling a little like, you know, you get that feeling inside your body. We all know what it's like, you know, yeah. you're feeling that way. Just sort of take a breath, you know, go yep. somewhere, do what you need take to do. Breath. Mm -hmm. Take care of yourself. Okay. Mm -hmm. So both, both of those things were situations in which there was virtually it, it was like a life lesson. You have no right. control, right? right? Yeah, absolutely. Like out of the blue, out of the dark. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, when part of why gardening is so good for me is because I can have this fantasy that I'm controlling things, right? right. I can bring right. up weeds. I can make yeah. flowers like this. I can plant what I want. And, and so the more we can help dogs feel like they have some control. And so that's, I love mm -hmm. tricks, for example. Um, mm -hmm. I love, here's an example of something I did for Willie. I taught him to do a play bow. My mm. favorite, favorite thing to teach a dog, even beyond almost, almost, well, come is my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. I call you, no matter yeah. what. <laughs> yeah. 
But because um, then you can have more freedom if it works all the time. But um, I taught Willie when he was getting tense to do a play bow. Well, play bows are one, a way dogs release tension, right? Right. And, and you know, and not psychologically, but physically, you know, and we all do that. You wake up, you've been asleep and you stretch, you know, dogs mm -hmm. stretch, right? Mm -hmm. So play bow is a great way to stretch out the body. Mm -hmm. um, and so I taught him when he'd like see another dog, I could see him start to get tense. I'd just say, take a bow. He started doing it on his own. Mm. started doing it on his own. He'd get nervous and I could just see, it's like, oh, he's play bowing. Like, hmm, what's going on, you know? So he had control in the sense that he could recognize something that was starting to bother him and he could do something about it, right. you know? Um, and so teaching all kinds of tricks, teaching dogs, um, you know, all, all of the new training, sort of asking a dog, like for example, um, Shirak Patel's bucket, I love game, it. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Oh, isn't it great? I yeah. love it. I love, love it. it. And and you don't even need a bucket. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. I just I just wrote a blog about this recently. Um, because I I was using a very similar technique with Maggie because I need to teach needed to teach her that to let me use a Dremel on her nails. Mm -hmm. Um and so what I learned, so I had a I had a bucket of treats right down on the ground, and I would give her it, I, I would Basically, that was her telling me, if I'm looking at the bucket, mm -hmm. then I'm comfortable. You know, if I move, if I look at my paw or, you know, I, you pick up a paw, I, you know, when I look at my paw, or I turn my head away. That means I'm not comfortable. So she's telling me, I'm good. I'm ready for you to do this. And I just, you know, good medical practitioners do that with us all the time, right? Mm -hmm. You know, are you, you know, like you're a good dentist is like, are you okay? You know, could I keep going? Right. The ones who can't, we don't like them. Right. They're horrible. Oh, that's so true. The ones who, the ones who are like doing all right. Right. Mm -hmm. We love them. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they're giving us autonomy. Mm -hmm. um, they're giving us um, agency. Right. Um, so, so the more you could do that with a dog who's been traumatized, the more they're going to feel safe and secure because they they have a certain amount of control over their life. And let's face it, dogs have very little control right. over their lives. Right. We've taken most of it away. We mm -hmm. don't even let them pee or poop. Right. Until we decide they can, right? So yeah. that's a remarkable loss of agency. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, anytime you can give your dog the ability to say like, no, I'm not really ready. They're going to feel more safe and secure. Amazing <laughs> advice. And going back to that idea of walking your dog, it's, understanding body language and making sure the dog is comfortable in the environment and has some buy-in going slow. Really, I guess the theme of this would be go slow and, you know, making, yeah. because in reality, the dog is on hopefully a harness and a leash and you are taking it out. Like it has no choice right. in, in the typical scenario. So it's like kind of trying to read into are they okay with this walk? And, mm -hmm. and let's go slow and bring them into nature as opposed to noises and sound, you know, or immediately. Yeah. Oh, and I love, Emily, I love that you mentioned about sound. I just wonder if we're just exhausting our dogs often, you know, I've got mm -hmm. two water collies and after dinner, we often watch TV mm -hmm. and there's a lot of noise that comes on, you know, say you're watching, you know, whatever. Um, some of them are very noisy, you know, or even a sports event, right? Mm -hmm. You know, can get really noisy. And I look at, 
I look at dogs, especially Skip, the four-year-old, who's an empath and who was just super <laughs> sensitive. And, you know, and I look at him, I think, should I just even put you in another room? Are you just right. exhausted by all this? I think our dogs are tired. <laughs> I think yeah. they're very tiring. Yeah. You know, I think our lives are tiring us too, actually. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> I, th- I think many of us are very tired by our own lives just because of the way life has gone. And the last year has been like ridiculous, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Really challenging and, and, you know, incredibly hard for, for many, many people. Um, so, yeah. So I think noise is a big issue. You know, scent is an issue. Noise is an issue. Visual stimuli is an issue. I think those are all really important. This reminds me so much of my dog, Daisy, who's a blue healer. So she's already kind of wired to be a little up (laughs) and her behavior changed drastically when we moved from a condo to a farm. And it was just, we were no longer sharing walls with other barking dogs. We weren't walking out the door to other dogs, cars going by busy environment. Um, And we, she did have more opportunity to have a choice of whether she wants to just go out, go out in the big backyard today or go for a walk. So, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, um, I'm interested that Daisy's a healer because Mm I, I was just actually thinking of a client I had who worked at a shelter who adopted Mm -hmm. this lovely healer and she lived in an apartment in a noisy building Mm -hmm. and the dog was just a mess. I mean, Mm -hmm. the dog was just, it was just a lot of trouble. (laughs) It was just a lot of behavioral problems and some of them really serious. And Um, she couldn't move and she ended up making, I think, a perfect decision. I was so proud of her because it was very mm-hmm. hard for her to do. She felt like she was abandoning her dog, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, you know, I adopted you. I'm a responsible dog owner. If I give you away, I've, I'm failing you. I'm betraying you. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, you have done the best work you could. You mm-hmm. have figured out what this dog needs. Right. You know, you have created a window of opportunity for this dog. And without you, it wouldn't have gotten it. You know, maybe it would have gone to a home with three young kids under the age of seven and not, you know, things wouldn't have gone really well. And so Mm -hmm. that dog ended up living in the country and literally became a different dog. I mean, literally became a different dog. And so that's, I guess that's one of the things I would like to say to people who have rescued or adopted an older dog is if you have a pit in your stomach and mm-hmm. deep inside it's telling you that this is the wrong dog for you, then one way to say it, to, to reframe it is that you are the wrong family for this dog. Mm-hmm. And what you can do is again, be the window of opportunity. You can be the one who figured out, okay, I got the dog out of the shelter. It's not in a kennel surrounded by 40 other barking dogs. Mm-hmm. Now it's in a home. Now we know more about it. Now we know what this dog needs. I can't provide that. And it's breaking my heart. But because I love this dog, my responsibility as a responsible dog owner is to get it in the environment in which it will flourish. Greater love has no dog owner. And I know it's really hard to do that. I've done it. It's Mm -hmm. heartbreaking. And it's also like the best thing you could possibly do when you find the right place. 
that is such good advice. And we, we recently had that in our rescue. One of our adopters had an unfortunate situation and she had to move into the city and she was devastated. She'd had this dog for seven years, but luckily I found a home on 40 acres and it's hiking every day. She's probably going to regret it for the rest of her life, but she did the right thing for her dog. She did. So do we have time for one more quick question? Um, if there were, Although, I, have, I, have I given a quick answer to anything yet? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's me that's doing all this long talking. We love it. We well, love it's, it. I'm treasuring every moment. Yeah, so thank too. you so much. <laughs> so obviously we love the book. Love has no age limit. If you were to write a new edition, is there any advice you would include that is not there currently? Oh, I love that question. I love that question. And the answer is yes. Although it's not advice. Mm. It's using the word decompression because mm-hmm. I'm just such a fan of it because I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I just, I think people get that. You know, I think there's something about the word decompress, decompression mm-hmm. that just makes so much sense to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I would include that word that, you know, when Karen and I are talking about how important it is for dogs to get their paws on the ground and to have quiet and calm, just that whole concept of they're overwhelmed and they need to decompress. You know, that's that I would, I would put that in there in a minute. And before we let you go, um, if our listeners want to find out more about you, your books, your work, your blog posts, where can they go? Oh, thanks for asking Libby. Um, People can go to just, just my website, which is my name, go to patriciamcconnell.com. Um, and the two things I want to point out, um, obviously, there are some books or booklets that, that you can um, order through that. But I think um, one of the resources a lot of people don't know about is the Learning Center. It's, it's a compilation of lots and lots of articles and blog posts and videos about a whole range of behavioral issues, relationship issues. It's all free and it's all there. Well, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. You have no idea how honored we are to have you here. And this is a wonderful conversation. I am honored to talk to anybody who does rescue. My my hat goes off to you. My heart goes with you. I know it can be incredibly difficult work. Mm -hmm. And um, you've obviously been doing it for quite a while, which says a lot. Yeah. (laughs) So, so it's an honor to talk to anybody who's, you know, trying to find forever homes for dogs who need them. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked this episode, don't forget to rate and review. It helps other folks like you find the show. To find out more about our programming and adoptable rescue dogs, you can visit summitdogrescue.org. Thanks to Mike Pesci for the original music and to Alex Lee Ammons and For the Love Media for graphics, production, and editing. See you soon on Pod to the Rescue.